we're going to carry on our little series we're doing here for the play practice month and a half. Lucy's going to miss me. Um, our seven churches of Revelation, and uh, we're going to do the sixth church tonight, and then Wednesday we're going to finish it up, so i get everything all cleaned up for Christmas, New Year, start some new things. Um, so we're, mostly we'll be, we got a lot of verses, or Cheryl's going to have to work tonight, but uh, Revelation chapter 3, um, verse 7 is where the, the message to the church of Philadelphia, that's what we're talking about tonight, um, we'll start. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, we know um, the word Philadelphia means love of the brethren. Which is why it's called the city of brotherly love. Um, and loving our, our brother and our sister is a mark of being a, a Christian, right? Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, he said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So this is an important thing, important message, um, that we need to love each other. And we're taught to love one another by God. First Thessalonians 4 and 9 says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So loving each other is an important thing in, in the family the family of God. And as important as it is that we love each other and love Jesus, it's just as important for us to also love the lost and try to reach and, and, and save and and. Lead them, lead them to the cross. And the church in Philadelphia, they had a, a vision, they had a burden, they had a goal to reach their lost world. And we'll see here that God sets before them an open door, the Bible says. And, and that's something that we, as, as Christians, we pray for often, we look for often, you know, Maybe that open door. And I know, you know, that's what we talk about all the time. Um, and, Philadelphia, a little history, a little location, geography, or whatever. Uh, Philadelphia was located in a strategic place on the main route from Rome to the, the east. Its nickname was the Gateway of the East, if you're curious and interested in that sort of thing. They had a lot of different temples in the city dedicated to different deities, and it, it had the nickname Little Athens. So it was like Athens, but smaller. Um... When we were in, in France, we, we went to Paris. Obviously, you have to. You fly in there. You got to see some things. Eiffel Tower, all that touristy things. But then we also went to a place called Bordeaux, which is famous for its wine. But Bordeaux was also called Little Paris. And basically, it looks like Paris, but within the Parisians, which is, <laughs> which is what everyone's favorite thing about it was. So in my mind, when I hear Little Athens, I think well, this is like... It's like Athens, but without the Athenians. <laughs> Maybe they had some sort of attitude, I don't know, but it, it looked like it. It was kind of like a smaller version, and generally in the smaller version of places, it's what's friendly or whatever, I don't know. Um, Philadelphia is also famous for their cheesesteaks. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, the church in Philadelphia was... It was located in a place of great opportunity on this main... Route 
People would travel through to, on, you know, going to Rome or going to the east for trades and all this. It was located on a very um, strategic place and it was a place of great opportunity. The only problem with this location was that this area was prone to earthquakes, which is good. <laughs> oh, I'm just making all kinds of terrible jokes, forgive me. But in 17 BC, there was an earthquake that destroyed the city of Philadelphia destroyed Sardis, which was another um, church that we had a letter to. Uh, it destroyed 10 other cities. And afterwards, after they recovered and they rebuilt, some of the people refused to move back into the city and they lived outside of it in the countryside. And they, they call that place the burnt land for some reason. But it was, it was a place that was prone to, to earthquakes. And in Philadelphia, of the seven churches that we're um, talking about, it was a second smallest city among the seven churches and some believe that it might have even had the smallest uh, congregation numerically speaking so that's philadelphia in revelation 3 and 7 it says and the angel and to the angel of the church in philadelphia write these things saith he that is holy he that is true he that hath the key of david he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth this um, church is the one that we should strive to be like the most. So far, most of the churches have been condemned for something, you know, left their first love, they've compromised, they've allowed false doctrine, they've all, you know, all these. The next, um, the next one is everyone's favorite, you know, you're lukewarm. And with all these, these different things, and, but the church um, in Sardis, no, sorry, the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, neither one of them get any sort of reprimand, which is it's a good thing. Um, so this is the church that we should probably try to be like, be like the most. And Jesus presents himself to this church in Philadelphia as he that is holy, he says. He say, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. So he that is holy is also a way of him declaring that he is God, which is, you know, we know that he is because only... You know, God is holy. God alone is holy. He is holy in his character, his words, his actions, his purposes, his, yes. his very being. He is holy. And being the holy one, he is set apart from, from everything else. He's completely unique and nothing can be you know, compared to him. Isaiah 40 and 25 says, To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. There's only one. Amen. Jesus says, I am the Holy One. One, he's, he's confirming again that he is, he is God. Jesus is, also, Jesus is also the Holy One that is true. The Holy One that is true, which means that he's genuine. Because I'm the Holy One, the one that is true. He is genuine. He is the original. He's not a copy. He's the authentic Amen. God, not a man-made, manufactured God. Right. And in Philadelphia, they had tons of temples around their around the city dedicated to all these different gods and, and goddesses and there were hundreds of false gods and goddesses in those days first corinthians 8 verse 5 to 6 says for though there be that are called gods whether they whether in heaven or on earth as there be gods many and lords many but un, but to us there is but one god the father of whom are all things and we in him and one lord jesus christ by whom are all things and we and him. So Paul says there's a lot of gods yes. that people worship. There's a lot of you know lords that people try to worship, but there's only one. Amen. 
Only one true God, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So there's a ton of other gods, but only Jesus himself could claim to be the true God. When the martyrs of heaven addressed you know, God in Revelation 6 and 10, they called him holy and true. It says, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So not only is Jesus holy and true, as he tells his church, but he also has the authority to open and close doors. He says, He that hath the key of David, yes. he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. A little background to this imagery that um, John writes about. Isaiah 20, 22 to 15 to 25, there's a story. Um, in verse 22, it says, And the key of the house of David I will lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. There's this prophecy about this. And, and uh, Assyria had invaded Judah, and uh, like Isaiah had prophesied, but the Jewish leaders at this time, in Isaiah 22, they were trusting Egypt to come and, and deliver them instead of trusting, trusting God, which is kind of funny because they were delivered from Egypt before. But they were trusting Egypt to come and, and save them, and one of the leaders in all this mess, his name was uh, Shebna. And he was using his position for his own personal gain instead of for the good of the people, like he should have been doing. Not that politicians do that nowadays. But, but uh, people, people don't change, right? So it is. But God, God saw that this guy was wrong, and he removed him from his position and then put a faithful guy in their name, um, Eliakim, and he was put in this place and he was given the, the keys of authority in Isaiah 22, and this is the story and it's used as a picture of, of Jesus to come, and Eliakim was a picture of Jesus, and like him, Jesus had been given the keys of authority so he's using this, you know, as an imagery to, they know the story and they remind them that he has the keys, he has the authority he has the authority over hell and death, he said in Revelation 1 and 18 Amen. he says I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. So Jesus, we're all on the same page still. So Jesus comes to this, he says to this church in Philadelphia, he says, look, I've got the keys to everything. I've got the keys to the kingdom. David was the king. He said, I've got the keys of David. David was the king. The king could go anywhere he wanted in the kingdom. The king could do whatever he wanted in the kingdom. You know how they give people a key to the city? For a day or whatever. And they can do whatever they want. He said, I've got the key of David. I've got the key to the kingdom. I can do whatever I want. I've got the keys to everything. Whatever you need open, I can open. Whatever needs to be shut, I can shut. I make the decisions. I am in control. What Jesus was saying to this church. Follow me and trust me. A key is the, the emblem of authority and knowledge. The key of David is the, the regal right or authority of, of David. David could shut or open the kingdom of Israel to whom he pleased. He could close the gates. He could do whatever he wanted. He was not bound um, to leave the kingdom to even his eldest son. David did what he wanted. Solomon wasn't his oldest son, but he, he made him the king. He could choose who he wanted to succeed him. He makes the choice. And so like, like David, the kingdom of heaven is at the disposal of Jesus. 
He can shut against whom he will. He can open to whom he pleases. And if he shuts the door, no man can open it. And if he opens it, no man can shut it. His will, his determination stand fast. And nobody can reverse it. And the church knew of this power. Jesus reminded them that I am in control. I have the keys. If I'm going to open a door, it's going to be open. If I'm going to shut it, it's going to be shut. I am in, I'm in control. When Jesus opens a door that no one can close it, if he closes the door, no one can open it. So we need to trust him. And we need to go through the doors that he's opened. And stop trying to go through the doors that he's closed. Don't force it. Follow him where he leads. He's got the keys. I don't got the keys. Every night we go home after we leave here, and I've got the keys. And every time my children decide they're going to go in front of me, and they crowd the door, I'm like, you can't get in until I open the door, because I have the key. Get out of the way. Every time. I don't know why. But sometimes we're the same way with Jesus. We get in front of him, we're like, okay, I'm going in. He's like, no, I've got the key. Let me open the door so that you can go through. We have to allow him to lead us. Stop trying to get in front of him and open the door that he hasn't opened yet. Trust him and follow him because he has the key. So we need to trust him. Go through the doors he opens. Stop trying to go through the doors that he hasn't opened yet. Let him lead. Don't try to force it. All right. Revelation 3 and 8. Since I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door. Continues on this. I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Again, he says, says, he says to the church, he says, <laughs> I know thy works. He said it all of them. I know thy works. I know what you're doing. I see you. I know where you're at. And it's a comforting thing because Jesus knows what's going on. He sees you. He cares. It's a good thing to remember. He says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. In the New Testament, an open door was often an opportunity for ministry. In Acts 14 and 27, it says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how... He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. This was an opportunity for evangelism. This was an opportunity for a whole group of people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 9, it says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversities, adversaries. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 12, it says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So he came to preach in Troas, and, and God opened the door for him to do that. In Colossians 4 and 3, it says, with all, also, with all praying also for us, that God would open us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bond. He was praying that God would open a door so that he could share this gospel, share this story. And Jesus is in control. We need to remember that. He is in control, and he, is, he has the keys, but he's also the Lord of the harvest. He's the head of the... The church, he determines where and when his people Amen. shall serve. Amen. Acts um, 16, another story with Paul. It says, and they, when they gone through, um, 
Phrygia and the region of Galatia were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So they wanted to go preach in Asia, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let them. And after they were come um, to Mysia, they, they settled, they essayed, sorry, to go into um, Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So they wanted to go somewhere else. The Holy Ghost said, no, you're not going to go there either. And uh, they passing by, Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia and assuredly gather that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So these guys, you know, these apostles, they were like, okay, we're going to go to Asia. And they need to hear the word, right? They need to hear the gospel in Asia. We want to go. But right. the Holy Ghost said, no, that door is not open yet. Right. Okay, we're going to go here. Well, no, the door is not open yet. Yes. Yes. And then he had a dream. There's a man in Macedonia saying, come over. He's like, okay, the door is open. Yes. There you go. He could have went to Asia. He could have went to the other places that I can't pronounce. But he went where God opened the door. He went where God led him and they had revival. We've got to follow where God is leading us. And the open doors, you know, the references to, to revival that we have experienced. Missionaries are in countries all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus and cities and towns and villages all across North America are hearing about the gospel because of doors that have been opened. When God opens doors, politics can't shut them. Atheism can't shut them. Humanism can't shut them. Communism can't shut them. The government can't shut them. Persecution can't shut them. There's a there's a country right now in Western Africa near where we were in. Right now, there's a lot of persecution from another religion going on. And they're, they're killing people, and the missionaries have had to you know, leave. The city they live in isn't, isn't so dangerous as up north or whatever, but there's a lot of stuff going on. But this morning, six more people were bat no, baptized in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Things are still happening. No matter what the persecution is, the door is open, Amen. and people are being added to the church. The persecution isn't going to stop it. If Jesus has opened the door, it's going to be okay. If Jesus has opened the door, it's our job to go through them. And he said, For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. This church, they had two obstacles. The first was their lack of strength. He says, you know, thou hast a little strength. Not very strong. And the second was, we'll see in the next verse, was the Jews persecuting them. But um, apparently the church in Philadelphia wasn't a large church, history tells us. And it wasn't a super strong church, as Jesus is saying to them. You have a little strength. You don't got a lot, you got some. But the church in Philadelphia was a faithful church. The most important quality we can have is not our size, it's not our strength. Amen. It's not how much we can give or how much we can serve. We've seen all these other churches thrive in these categories yes. and been rebuked for things. Yes. And fail ultimately. The most important thing we can be for Jesus is faithful. Amen. Matthew 25 and 21. The Lord, His Lord saith unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is a parable Jesus tells the kingdom of God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you can be anything for Jesus, be faithful 
Stay. Be consistent. Be steady. Be faithful. What relationships are the ones that last? When the people are faithful. Right? Stay faithful. Stay true. He will open the doors. He will bless if we are faithful. They weren't the biggest or the strongest, but because they were faithful, he was opening doors for them. If you want to be used, be faithful. If you want to be blessed, be faithful. Be faithful in giving. Be faithful in doctrine. Be faithful in living. Be faithful in, in loving and worship and praise and prayer and study of the word. Be consistent. Be faithful. Philadelphia was true to God's word. They were unafraid to bear his name. And it's not the size or the strength of the church or the size or the strength of the saint that determines its ministry, but it's faith in the call and commitment of Jesus. So tell us in Bible school that he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And our job is to be faithful and walk through the doors that he opens. And though we may be small in number, you are a force to be reckoned with when Jesus is on your side. What produced faithfulness in Philadelphia was the keeping of the word of God. We can change, we can change the carpet, we can paint the walls a different color, change the style of music, God forbid. We can change the format on Sunday nights, here and there. We can repaint outside of the church. We can build new facilities. We can change the pastor if you want. And change personnel, but we must never add to or take away from the Word of God. Amen. That's got to stay the same. Yes. You've got to be faithful in the Word. Amen. This keeping of the Word was not just a uh, personal reference to enduring some trial or persecution, but it was describing how this church had not compromised on their you know, apostolic message, their doctrine. And they held on to it. We've seen other churches compromise and the other ones we've studied. You know, allow the doctrine of Balaam and, and Jezebel and all these lovely characters from the Old Testament just hanging out still. But they, they didn't compromise on their message and they also did not deny the name of Jesus. And this is important because one of the greatest threats to our movement is to do away with the relevance and the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. What people try to take away. Oh, we don't need to do that. You don't need to say that. You don't need to be baptized that way. You don't need to do this or that. Jesus. Revelation 3 and 9 says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. The first obstacle they faced, they weren't very strong. The second obstacle they faced was, like many of the early churches, there was opposition from the Jews that lived in, in that city. You know, Christianity was born out of Judaism, right? That's where it came from. And the, the, the strict Jews, you know, they were against it because they saw these people taking their scriptures and teaching something else. And, you know, that would get, that got them upset. It would get us upset, too. 
And they look at me like, you guys are crazy. But, you know, that's, they were holding on to what they were taught their whole life. And something new was happening. And, and they saw it as a false religion. So they persecuted the, the church. And the way Jesus words it here lets us know that it was the work of the devil opposing them through the Jews. Causing the synagogue of Satan. It wasn't, you know, the Jews themselves weren't the problem. It was the enemy working through them. That was the problem. And anything, including God's chosen people, the Jews in this instance, that opposes the truth is considered to be of and from Satan. It's important to realize and understand this because with God you're either for Him or you're against Him. We don't fight against each other. We don't fight against our neighbors. We don't fight against other religions. We fight against the enemy. We fight against the devil, Ephesians 6 and 12. We know this one. So it's where we wrestle, wrestle, wrestle not. <laughs> Every time I think I've got some rhythm going on, I just blow it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. A lot of problems come when we start fighting with the people. And I'm fighting it in prayer. You start fighting or preaching against certain people or attacking certain people. We don't fight against Muslims. We don't fight against Catholics. We don't fight against atheists or whatever other thing you want to, whatever other you want to throw in there. We fight against the enemy. We fight against the control he has. The problem isn't your neighbor. The problem isn't that person that you disagree with. They're not the problem. The problem is the enemy, and that's who we need to fight against in prayer. So the enemy was working through the Jews to persecute the church. And these, these Jews in this city, they, they thought they were doing the right thing. And they thought they were honoring their God. You know? Um, they thought they were protecting God and His Word. And we think of you know, the Apostle Paul before he was converted. He was doing the same thing because he thought he was doing the right thing. He was passionate about the Word of God. He was passionate about his, his religion, his beliefs, his is God, and just because someone is passionate about something doesn't mean they're right. Just because someone's sincere doesn't mean they're right. Just because they're zealous doesn't always mean that they're right. And these these Jews in the story, they were excluding the Christians from the synagogue, and um, it's also probable that they were spreading rumors and falsehoods about them, which has happened in all the other stories so far. It's not unlikely that it wasn't happening because they would do that because. You know, it's hard to be a witness in your area if uh, people are lying about you. You know, don't go down to that church. They're saying all kinds of crazy stuff. So you don't go because they're saying, whether that's true or not. Now, some of us would go because we heard they were saying crazy stuff. But The church in Smyrna faced the same kind of thing in Revelation 2 and 9. He says, I know that works in tribulation and poverty, but that were rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The same thing it says to both of these churches that are doing the right, the right thing. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 and 9, we already read, but for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, but there are, and there are many adversaries. And the church in Philadelphia was in the same kind of place. They had lots of, the door was open, but there were a lot of adversaries. There was a lot of Obstacles. There are a lot of things in, in the way. 
And this church is in the same kind of place. Both opportunities were there. The door was open. But there was also some persecution, some pushbacks, some obstacles. And that's always going to be the case. Unbelief will see the obstacles. And faith will see the opportunities. That's how you look at it. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be things that get in the way. And since Jesus holds the keys and opens the doors, he is in control, he is in control of the outcome. Amen. So what do we have to fear? <clears throat> he holds our every breath in his hands. We just have to trust him. Right. Yes. If he opens the door, go through it. Jesus. Nobody can close the doors as long as he has them open. Right. And Jesus gave this church a promise. He said, I will make them to come and worship before their feet. And to know that I have loved thee. He said he will take care of their enemies. One day these people that were persecuting them were going to have to acknowledge that they were wrong. And that the church was right. And if we take care of the work of God. And we're faithful. And we go through the doors he opens. He will take care of our battles. If we are faithful and we stay true, he will take care of the rest. Last week I quoted Keith Green on Do It Again. And the song, he says, he'll take care of the rest. Yes, the Lord said he'll take care of the rest. He's going to do it. He'll take care of the rest. He'll see you through. He'll take care of the rest. We just need to trust him. And he'll take care of the rest. Our job is to be faithful and to trust him. Our job is not to look for obstacles and make excuses. But to go through the doors that he opens and trust him. Revelation 3 and 10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And Jesus says, If you stick it, stick with it, I will keep you. Even the doors to the end shall be saved, he said before. We stay with it. If we're faithful, we'll make it through. What we have to do is realize that our reward is literally out of this world. Look up. Lift up your heads. Redemption draws near. And this verse has a dual meaning. It means to endure and preserve, but it also means to preach the apostolic message of Jesus Christ and how he endured on the cross. Revelation 3 and 10 again in the beginning in the Living Word translation says, Because you have kept the message of my endurance. Because you've kept the message of what I've done. How I endured the cross. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has set down the right hand of the throne of God. This goes back to keeping the word that Philadelphia was commended for the preaching of the cross and Jesus's endurance to fulfill his mission is the greatest message that we could ever study or preach Paul was one of the most educated men in the the New Testament he he knew it all he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees he said he knew all of it in 1 Corinthians 2 1 to 5 he said and I brethren when I came to you came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him 
crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So I, I, I came and I don't want to pretend I know all this stuff. I don't want to use big fancy words. I don't want to you know, be attracted to me and my words. I just want to share Jesus Amen. and the cross and what he did. And education is important. Knowledge is important. There's nothing worse than someone thinking they know something and they're wrong, right? That's awkward. But when it comes to the gospel, the only thing that will save is Jesus. Not a degree, not a job, not a book, not a course. Get those things. They can help. They're tools to be used to further the kingdom. They're useful, but they don't save us. That's why you can get the most uneducated preacher up there. <laughs> Stumbling over his words, butchering the English language like I do. And lives are changed. Because the power isn't in man, or in what he knows, in his brain, or whatever, the power belongs to the God that he serves. The power is in Jesus, his word, his spirit, his message. I told you the story before about when we were in Africa, and I tried to preach in French, and it was a mess. Right? Just, I just, the guy did not understand what I was trying to say, and I did not know French good enough to try to say it another way, so that he could figure out what I was trying to say, and it was just a mess and it was awkward and it took two people to try to save me to get this sorted out. The missionary came and he couldn't get what he was saying. And then another guy came and finally we got it sorted out. This awkward ordeal and I lost all confidence in whatever I was trying to preach. And it was just a mess. But then we gave the altar call and nine people got the Holy Ghost. In the middle of that mess. It was the worst message I've ever preached. But it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my French being bad or that guy not understanding. I don't know what happened. It was about Jesus being preached. We talked about the cross. We talked about salvation. Somehow, through all of the chaos, something got across. We had a time with the Lord. But it wasn't about me. It was about the message. The power is in the word. The power is in yes. Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 to 10 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. All the things I, I don't even care about. I just want to win Christ. Yes. That's all I want is Jesus. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and may, being made conformable unto his death. This is Paul. This is the guy that knew everything. He said, I don't care about any of that stuff. All I want is Jesus. All I want to do is know him and the power of his resurrection. That's all I want. 
The only thing that matters is the cross. The only thing that matters is the gospel. The only thing that matters is Jesus gave his life to save us from our sins. And any uh, message about Jesus and his cross will have the full backing of heaven upon it. And the church in Philadelphia, they held fast to the preaching of the cross. And we have to, too. For without the cross, we will never receive the crown. A lot of people want the glory and the power of the resurrection, but you have to take the cross to get there. You have to take the agony and the suffering and the pain of the cross in order to have a resurrection. You can't resurrect without dying. Mind-blowing stuff, but it's true. Yes. Yes. Well, we want to skip over that part. Mm. We gotta hold on to the cross. We gotta hold on to the message. Yes. Revelation three and eleven says, "Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." So, Behold, I come quickly. He doesn't say when he's coming. We don't know when he's gonna come. No man knows it, the day nor the hour, the Bible says. So it's our job to be faithful, yes. right? It's our job to be ready. I don't know. You know, when I got licensed the first time, they asked you all these weird questions. Mm -hmm. You know, post-trip, pre-trip, all that stuff. And I was like, guys, I don't know. All I know is I'm supposed to be ready when he comes. They're like, that's the first honest answer we've had all day. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to play it safe here. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is our job to be ready when he comes. It's our job to be faithful. Yes. When he comes back from his church, we're ready. Yes. Amen. I know that we're closer than ever before, but our job isn't to predict when he comes, but our job is to be ready when he does. Amen. And this verse also gives a sad reality. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Because the sad reality that if you let go of what you have in Jesus, what he's given you, someone else can take your place. You can let go of it. Let no man take thy crown. The will of God is going to happen whether we want to want it or not. And if he calls you to do something, you decide you don't want to do it, he will find someone else that does. Amen. Judas was replaced. He was handpicked. He was called by Jesus, where he didn't live up to his calling, and he was replaced. And if he's called you and he's saved you, he's done anything in your life, you need to hold on to that. And don't let it go. And while that seems a little negative, um, you need to understand that God wants everyone to be saved. He's not going to force his love on anyone. <clears throat> if you compare this with... Um, the competition that athletes, you know, go through. Um, it's all through the, the New Testament. They'll use that. And the Bible shows this, this principle in other settings. In the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, uh, deals with the concept of one losing a reward to another. The one that doesn't do anything, he takes it and gives it to the guy that has ten. And Paul talks about finishing the race, finishing his course, fighting the good fight. Paul also describes in Romans 11 and 17 how the Jews are, are cut off so the Gentiles could be grafted in. They rejected Jesus. And the fact is when someone proves unfaithful, God already has someone else who's ready to take up 
the baton or the message and continue and eventually win the race. Does that mean that you only have one chance to be faithful? No, we know that. But it does serve as a warning not to take that chance. Just be faithful and you'll be okay. He that endures to the end will be saved. Just be faithful. Solomon took a chance and it cost him his love for the one true God. Samson took a chance and it cost him his eyesight and his respect. Judas took a chance and it cost him his life. Demas, as a friend of Paul, took a chance and it cost him his soul. Don't take the chance. Just continue to be faithful. Hold on to what you have. We can easily lose what we have if we don't hold fast to it. Verse 12 says, Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. I will write upon him my new name. So another promise he makes to the church in Philadelphia. He said, I will honor you. Um, remember, they, the city of Philadelphia that was prone to earthquakes happening. He says, him that overcometh, I will make a pillar. I will make you solid. I will make you strong. It's a meaningful symbolism to them. There's going to be stability. You know, they were used to earthquakes. Some of them were so afraid they, they refused to live in the city again. So I'm going to make you stable. No need to, to flee or run when anything happens. Ancient cities, they would put up pillars to honor their great leaders, to remember them. And Jesus was saying to him that overcomes, I will honor him. I will solidify him. I will make him strong. But again, the key to receiving this is overcoming. You got to stick with it. You got to stay. You got to battle through some things. You got to stay true. You can't just take off because something bad happens. Some sort of tribulation comes of, well, I'm done with this for now. You've got to battle through some things. Stay true. Stay faithful. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the cross. Hold on to the name of Jesus. You have to stay the course and finish the race. And when we do, he will honor us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Psalm 23, 5 and 6 says, Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we all want that. Amen. But in order to get to verse 5, you've got to go through verse 4. Yes. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes. You've got to go through some things before you get to where you're anointed, before you get to where your cup runneth over, before you get to you know, dwell in the house of the Lord yes. forever. You've got to go through some things. After we go through the valley, after we go through the trial of the dark, then we're blessed. Then we're anointed. Then we're honored. Then we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar. We all want the honor. We all want the anointing without the faithfulness. But the only way to get it is to be faithful. To follow Him and Him alone. To stay true. To overcome. To battle through. Pillars are faithful people who have been through it, who bear his name for his glory. Galatians 2 and 9 says, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars. James and John, Cephas, they're all strong guys in the church. They were pillars. They'd overcome. They'd gone through some things. A lot of times we use the term pillar for an elderly saint, but that's not necessarily what it means. That's someone who has gone through something. 
and overcome and is still there. You don't have to be 78 years old to be a pillar. I don't know if you're 78. I'm sorry. It was just a random number. <laughs> you don't have to be in your 70s or your 80s to be a pillar. You just need to be someone that's overcome yes. some things. You can be that old and not mature. It doesn't always come with age. I'm not looking at anybody right now. A pillar was someone that's overcome. There are people that are in their 30s and 40s that have overcome a lot of stuff. And are still there. But some people that are older, they're just still whining about everything. No one here? Moving on. Verse 13 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So again, the same thing ends with every time. Again, you need to hear it. You need to apply it. You need to take it in. You need to take it. Chew it, John says. You need to hear it. Take it in. Hear what the Spirit's saying. So what can we learn from the church in Philadelphia. We can change the methods, but we can never change the message. We have to hold on to the message. Yes. The reward is heaven if we endure to the end. The cross is the only message worth living for. And hang on to this great truth and never let it go. The church today is like the church in Philadelphia in the way that God has opened many different doors of opportunity for us. And if He opens the doors, we must be faithful and go through yes. and work. And if he closes them, we got to wait. Don't get ahead of them like my kids do. And they're going to do it tonight. <laughs> Don't get ahead of them. Let him open the door. Amen. Let him lead. Let him go. More than anything, we need to continue to be faithful. Yes. That's how the doors open. Amen. Be faithful. And see opportunities, not obstacles. Hey, let's all stand. Let's pray. I hope that made sense. Well.